The other side of fear is not being comfortable. The other side of fear is courage. And so really we want to try to give people, empower people with the tools so that they can be courageous. You're listening to The Feminine Reclaimed, your source for unfiltered conversations about mental health and self-employment for women's empowerment. I'm your host, Laurel Ann Stark. Kimberly D. Campbell, PhD, is an award-winning educator with over 20 years of experience as an organizational communication and communication strategy professor at U.S. universities. As a founder of Inner University, Kimberly is dedicated to providing empowerment workshops, courses, retreats, and products designed to equip leaders with personal transformation technologies often ignored by mainstream educational systems. Kimberly is dedicated to facing her own fears and building a life that works for her while traveling the world. One of the reasons that I'm really interested in, in talking to you, a fear expert, about, about you know, what is fear and how does it hold us back from our success is oftentimes what I hear from female entrepreneurs in my career is, is just sort of reporting this feeling of being stuck, like having goals and dreams and actions that you know, we want to pursue, but sort of finding ourselves unable to take that action. So I think it's going to be really valuable to hear what you have to say about what does fear play in this role? And what is the cost of fear, would you say, in sort of a professional role as, as an entrepreneur or what have you? Yeah. What is it taking away from us? So you are an expert in fear. Can you tell us on your definition, what is fear? Okay. So fear looks like a lot of things to different people, of course, but as a working definition, I don't want to go into anything theoretical. I think the main thing to think about is that fear is a combination of a feeling, an unpleasant feeling and an unpleasant thought. So for example, we might have an unpleasant emotion and combine that with a belief that a particular thing that we might do is either dangerous, painful, and or threatening. So pretty much fear is a combination of unpleasant emotions and or thoughts that lead us to a particular action or away from a particular action. Yep, sounds about right. I think that fear can literally take our lives, our very sense of well-being. It can take our dreams of the life that we want to live away from us. So that's sort of the end worst case scenario, but it's not so far away because it happens every day. It's a very subtle way that that we allow fear um, to be in the driver's seat of our lives, so to speak. So that although it sounds dramatic, like fear can literally take the life that you want away from you, the way that the insidious way that it operates and seeps into our lives is not so dramatic. It's in a very subtle way. So it's very important that we have this conversation because the cost and the impact of fear can be detrimental to our very well-being, to our mental health, our emotional health, and our physical health as well. Yeah, agreed. Never mind the career costs. Like, let's talk about how this is actually going to impact your ability to enjoy, you know, the life that you're trying to live. And Absolutely. one of the things that I loved that we were talking about earlier uh, was some of the really unsexy, sort of boring, uh, and but unexpected ways that fear shows up in, in sort of day-to-day life. Can you share with us how you've seen fear show up in unexpected ways? So, yeah. So, um, I really like that you brought up career because we're going to spend a lot of our time today talking about the cost of a fear to our careers. And I have seen in the context of careers, uh, fear show up in some very interesting ways. So here are some quick examples. There's a promotion that comes up. Someone even might give, let's say the person's name is Nancy. 
let's say Nancy has had her eye on this particular promotion and has even gotten feedback from other coworkers that, Nancy, I think you'd be perfect for this. So theoretically, Nancy wants the position, but fear can creep in in a number of very unsexy ways. Maybe she misses the deadline, not once, but the second posting. Maybe Nancy starts thinking, I should apply for that, but I just don't think that this is a good time in my life. Or she starts to think about or delay. I think I'm going to wait until next year might be a better time for me, or maybe I'm not good enough for this position. Maybe I don't have the credentials. So it can literally uh, show up in the physical body in ways that maybe uh, there was procrastination. And then on the day that it's due, Nancy becomes physically ill and unable to meet the deadline. So I have literally, in the context of public speaking and presenting and leadership skills workshops, we have had people literally run out. So we know that fear operates on a continuum. And so most of the fears and strategies we'll talk about today will be those fears that can be addressed through strategies that don't, um, your more in-depth fears require longer term intervention, including or therapy. But yes, even for situational fears, such as interviewing or applying for promotions, there are a number of ways that we must really be mindful to look out for, to check for the fear and how, how check for fears in our lives and how they're showing up on our day, on a day-to-day basis. Yes. And I love that you said that on the one hand, they, we know the, what would be best strategically, the intellectual move to take. However, it's very important to acknowledge that fear is very irrational. So it, has it um, impacts us sometimes because we don't notice it because we're trying to figure it out when it doesn't it's not a logical process and so it's very easy for us not to notice fear and I definitely will talk more about the importance of noticing fear and many times we create these uh, rationalizations about why we can't do something and it's very important for us to have these conversations like we're having now so that we can really reflect on and be honest and have an open transparent conversation about how common fears show up in our thoughts and our language and in our emotion. All right. That's a, that's a great segue into my next question, which is like, how do we know when fear is present? Because you're saying it's really subtle. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't show up in a very sexy way all the time. It's not immediately obvious that we're reacting out of fear. So yeah, would you be able to give us sort of like a checklist to sort of run down? Like, how do I know that fear is here and stopping me from living my best life? Yes. So one huge way of noticing that fear is blocking you is that you've had a particular goal and you're just unable, you're not seeing progression towards that goal. That goal could be related to fitness and health. That goal could be related to cooking a certain number of times a week or watching a certain number of TED Talks, whatever the goal is. And you're noticing that um, particularly life goals relating to you showing up in a particular way, as you said, applying for promotions or engaging in social media, uh, marketing, putting yourself out there and needing to be seen. Anything that puts you on the forefront is a particular magnet for fear-based thinking and and fear-based really getting anything that requires us to be vulnerable makes us uh, more frightful and more likely to give into fear. So if you notice that you're not making progress on goals that you have, If you notice repeated avoidance, if you notice that you're repeating yourself about saying, I really would love to live abroad. I really would love, and you've been saying this maybe for two years or three years. So hearing yourself repeat things that you want to do and those statements not aligning with action in your real life is another way to identify that you 
could very likely be operating in fear. So those are um, three of the very common ones, avoiding issues uh, repeatedly and not making progress on your own goals that you claim to set, that you have set for yourself. Oh, I love it. As far as avoidance goes, one thing that I hear all the time and I experience myself is like I've got a deadline for a project or a client has expressed, you know, these are goals that I want to, is even want to be doing like work from home and a that we want to have, you know, these say, for example, like updates to our website by a particular date and find ourselves almost, it's not even us. Like do we don't even enjoy the dishes or stuff that we enjoy, like sorting through uh, old clothes or ironing or doing the dishes or uh, housework. Would you say those are great examples? Yes. Um, those are, are definite ways, uh, examples, possible examples of avoidance. So, so another very important thing for us to think about, if we think of failure as something, as think of it as an iceberg, whereas we, the majority, the root causes of it, we don't necessarily see they're below the surface, but on the, the top part of the iceberg that we, that's visible to us, that's uh, readily available for, more readily available for us to see, are things such as avoidance and procrastination. But really the root causes of fear tend to be more below the iceberg. We fear failure, we feel rejection, we fear disapproval, we fear success, being vulnerable, being cheated. And so there are a number of ways that that can show absolutely avoidance is another way. And so it's very important for us to start being mindful and even getting an accountability partner, our very close friend that we trust, because often they're the ones who listen to us tell these stories about the lives we want. And they are ones who, um, if we ask them, it, they could give us good feedback about, is there any area of my life that you see me as possibly delaying or operating in fear of? Of course, we have to be willing to listen to that feedback and have, be very discerning about who we choose to give that type of, ask that type of question. But I think it's very important for us to know that to become mindful about looking, actively looking for where fear is in our lives. And usually it's not difficult to find. Usually it's around a couple of really powerful areas that impact our careers as well as, especially our social and professional lives. Awesome. Great. So we've got some ideas of how to identify fear showing up in your life and, and that it's, you know, the notion of it being an iceberg. We see some behaviors, but really they're rooted, you know, much more deeply in some really scary things like fear of being vulnerable, fear of being seen, fear of success, et cetera. So once we've identified, how do we manage? Yeah. So managing fear, the, as you said, once we've identified, um, so it's very important that we do take time to notice and that we really be objective and be open to noticing where we operate in fear. And so once we are in that space, so looking at it, then it's time to add some other tools to our toolkit in order to effectively manage fear. Two of the very common strategies that where there are many resources online and that are uh, really great for people who experience situational um, fears and phobias. And when I say situational, fears are ones that tend to be context specific. So for example, a person might have a fear of interviewing or a fear of speaking in public. However, the, that those same people are very comfortable with communicating in general. They don't have trait anxiety or trait related fear. It's very situational. For a lot of us, we experience that those types of situational fears and talk therapy is very helpful. Two of the strategies or tools 
that I often use in my workshops are related to that. But one is I call, you know, really watching our language. And we have some fun words uh, to refer to that. But thinking about what we say about ourselves and also thinking about visualization helps a lot. And cognitive restructuring, where we really take, and I can give you some specific examples today using cognitive restructuring if we have a few moments for that. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't even know what cognitive restructuring is and I'm excited to hear about it. Strategies to sort of manage fear is to be uh, mindful and intentional about how we speak about ourselves, also bringing in a visual component about drawing our success and then also the cognitive restructuring. Um, Would you be able to expand on all three of those actually? Sure. I'll give an example of, let's refer back to Nancy. Nancy has, is an expert at what she does. One of the people who reports to her is unable to deliver a presentation that Nancy has seen and helped to develop and craft on a particular day. Nancy is in the position that um, is asked to step in for her employee to deliver the presentation. Nancy immediately begins to experience a lot of anxiety relating to public speaking, particularly impromptu presentation. Now, this is not about competence because, as I said, Nancy is very well versed in all the necessary content areas to deliver the information that needs to be conveyed, but this is about a situational fear. So one of the things I might do with Nancy after this and getting her to reflect on this is to have her think about what exactly were the thoughts that were flashing in your mind, Nancy, when you were told that you would need to, in the afternoon on that same day, go and deliver this presentation that you've seen delivered and that you helped develop. What were the specific thoughts? And I can tell you, Laurel, and my engaging in this process with hundreds and hundreds of people, a lot of the thoughts are very similar. So some of the thoughts, Nancy might say things like, I will be boring, I won't be prepared. Now we know that I won't be prepared. It's really, let's look at cognitive restructuring. Cognitive restructuring involves noticing our thoughts, in this case, writing them down, I will not be prepared, or, and I will be boring. And that cognitive restructuring invites us to actually reconstruct the thoughts. So we know that Nancy is very capable and is really well-versed in one-on-one conversations and communication with people. So it's not about ability. It's more about the meaning Nancy is assigning to this need to speak this afternoon. It's not about that she can't do it, but her mind and brain and fear adds a different spin. So cognitive restructuring, I would have Nancy write those two statements down. And as we can see, both statements, I will not be prepared, I am not prepared, and I will be boring. Both of those statements focus on what can't happen. So this is victim language, and this is why our language is very important. So I would invite Nancy to, first of all, acknowledge that neither statement is accurate or true. Remember, fear is not rational. And it's largely inaccurate in the sense of professional um, fears. A lot of times it's inaccurate. So for example, I will be boring. Nancy, a different way to reconstruct that is I will uh, share stories, opening stories. I will provide lots of uh, eye contact with the audience to increase the likelihood that the audience will be engaged. So that's actually a more accurate statement and it relieves some of the stress. But if we tell ourselves things such as, I will be boring or I won't be prepared, that impacts the physiological body and fills it with fear. And since that thought signals the brain to experience fight or flight, the natural response then is for Nancy to try to avoid or flee that task. 
because she's assigning meaning and emotions to it that are amplifying fear. And fear leads us to run or flee. It keeps us from engaging professionally. So now um, that's an example of one to cognitive restructuring, where we identify the thoughts we have and we intentionally clarify them so that they're accurate, so that they're not irrational, and so that they're not victim-based, but actually reflect the skills that we know and possess. Wow, that's so super that's powerful. That also incorporates the role of language and what we're telling ourselves. So um, on that note, I'd like to just add one more important point, that the situations we find ourselves in professionally or otherwise, the situations are relatively static. In other words, this audience that this presentation, this particular situation and need for information exchange and need for this presentation, those things are pretty much static. What's Amplifying the situation for Nancy in this case is fear. Fear is the intensifier. The situation is neutral. The fact of people needing this presentation has been ongoing throughout Nancy's career. But what's intensifying it for her on this day is because she doesn't have enough notice, not to perform, but she doesn't have enough notice in which to her comfort, which is totally acceptable, by the way. But if we are not careful, fear can have us saying no and fleeing professional opportunities that could actually lead to greater success for us. The bottom line is my advice to Nancy and the Nancy within all of us is for us to actively and effectively manage our fear so that when we have obstacles that present themselves, that we can see them as possible opportunities. We can then transform opportunity, excuse me, obstacles into opportunities. And I've seen this happen. I literally have a client who would often say no to presentations and after attending and really working to um, hone her skills and to, to manage her fear, she started saying yes. And the very second time she presented at her corporation, a very important person was in the audience and it led to a promotion. So had she not done the work behind the scenes, she would not have been able to say yes to this obstacle of speaking and she would not have been able to face her fears and get the rewards on the other side of fear. The other side of fear is not being comfortable. The other side of fear is courage. And so really we want to try to give people, empower people with the tools so that they can be courageous. And courageous people still have fear. They learn to manage it and do what's best anyway. Ooh, I love it. I love it. There is such a misconception of fearless is the desirous state or the desired state of being, but truly most people who do things outside their comfort zone and continue to progress in their personal life, in their business life and create and execute on you know the life of their dreams, they typically are doing things while they're afraid. And I think that Absolutely. it's not necessarily the most common knowledge, right? Um, so I'd love about, I love what you said about manage what we say about ourselves and do that cognitive restructuring. And I'm wondering about the, the drawing concept. Can you elaborate on that a bit? Sure. So I, obviously the brain, we have left side and right side. And so in my workshops, I've devised uh, strategies for people to tap into both sides of the brain. So not only might I ask Nancy, what were her thoughts that flashed through her mind or what images flashed through her mind or what phrases were flashed through her mind when she found out that she would need to step in and deliver this presentation she's well-versed in in just a few hours. So I'd have Nancy right, respond to those questions, but I then ask her to please draw an image, if she could, of what does it look like for her, her initial thoughts. If she had to draw herself in front of this audience that she's in fear, full fear mode of what does it look like? And interestingly, 
I have collected hundreds and hundreds of these drawings over the years. And it's very powerful because I do this at the very beginning of the workshop. And often people will draw themselves so small and they'll draw the audience as like huge or they'll draw themselves with painful looking facial features. And after we, and that makes sense because fear sharpens our senses and it intensifies things. And, but it, unfortunately it tends to amplify the negative things that can happen. So people might say things like, I think I'm going to fall. I, in my visual that they draw, they might show themselves falling. And so I ask them, have you ever fallen on the stage before when giving a presentation? And 90% of the people will say no, but for whatever reason, fear is telling them that this one time there's no precedent, but this one time, this is when it's going to happen when that's not a rational rate, right? That's very unlikely to happen. And then I'll get another 10% who says, who might respond, yes, I have falling. And I say, when? And they'll say something like, when I was in kindergarten or when I was in third grade. I say, okay, so between third grade and 30 years from now, how many times have you fallen? Never. So in that case, fear is being very selective about what it's choosing to amplify. So it's literally going in a pile to find that one time <laughs> where it didn't, where there was a negative experience and blowing that on a huge board with special effects and sounding to trigger. So it's very interesting, the drawing component, because some people are more visual. And so the drawing gives us another creative way to have insight into how fear is expressed within a person. Awesome. When you were talking about careful about how you sort of talk to yourself. So just sort of looking at whatever meaning the brain is trying to make out of the story or like whatever story we're telling ourselves about what's going to happen. Like Nancy is going to be boring and, and unprepared or she's going to fall off the stage and just, you can either draw or write it out depending on reality. Yeah. Yes, because what, what some of the patterns we see is that people who are very visual, Fantastic. The, the, the brain tends to operate. So fear operates differently and it tends to be, um, while there are many similarities across people, it particularly knows it has an individualized approach that wh whatever works best for you in as an individual. So if I'm a visual person, I'm likely to have a, lot of, a flash flood of negative imagery surrounding something that I fear, in this case, speaking in public. If I am a word person, I'm likely to get a barrage of statements like this is not going to be well, this is going to be horrible, or I might even go into full flight mode. How can I get out of this? I think I'm going to call in sick. I've got to leave. I can't do this. So fear moves us to no, whereas courage moves us to at least consider the possibilities other than no. And what we want people, encourage people to do is it's okay to say no. So for example, if something is outside of your expertise, there are many valid reasons for not speaking with a few hours notice for your company, but fear should not be one of, us, one of them. And because fear needs to be addressed when it shows up, even if you say no today, if you notice that you said no largely because of fear, then you, it's, that's an opportunity, right? For you to notice how fear is showing up in your life and for you to set a plan to, to manage that fear. And I should say at the end of our workshops, what we find, we invite participants to redraw those drawings. And what we find that the end, the drawings, after we've taught them a variety of skills to manage effectively transform fear and to manage better manage fear, we find that they draw themselves larger. They take up more space. So they're uh, being more confident. More confident people take up more space. They, we see that they have actual more defined facial expressions, often smiling. We find that the audience is a normal size. They're not like the big bad monsters that fear had 
temporarily use them to see the audience as at the very beginning of the workshop. So these things require intentionality for sure. To get more information on the resources we discussed in today's episode, please go to thefeminineclaimed.com. There you'll also be able to access past podcast episodes, learn more about today's guest, and access any links or resources discussed in today's episode. Again, that's thefeminineclaimed.com. For more tips and community connection, join our group. It's totally free. Type Female Entrepreneur Mental Health Awareness into Facebook. Look forward to seeing you there. So if you could break it down to three actionable steps to cultivate courage in order to pursue the life of your dreams, what would those three tips be for our audience? One, notice when you are saying no because of fear. Now, what I mean by no or saying yes because of fear, because you also should not just say yes because you have a fear because it's fear-based. So number one tip is to become mindful and intentional about identifying fear in your life. Fear is, it only has the power that you allow it to have. And that power can be reclaimed by you any second of the day. The second strategy is to seek out resources that can help you hone the the many tools that you have relating to that, uh, some of which we've talked about today, tools such as cognitive restructuring, such as accountability partners, uh, maybe close confidants who are good at giving you honest feedback, and really seek out people and resources who can be partners with you and helping you take advantage of resources that can help you manage that fear. Fear is a natural part of life. And actually, it's an evolutionary gift. It helps us, that helps us sharpen our senses and energize us. However, fear is often misplaced. And so we need effective resources so that fear doesn't run our lives and that we stay in control and fear is in the back seat and not in the front seat of our careers and our business. Third, so after getting the resources, uh, number three, of course, is to actually incorporate these strategies into your daily regular life, your lifestyle. So for example, really have conversations, even family conversations. And I think it's absolutely amazing when people talk about fear with children, for example, talk about make fear, bring fear out of the darkness. Make it a part of everyday conversation. A lot of the power that fear has is because it's hidden. We deal with it and attempt to deal with it on our own as if it's something we can handle when we usually need other perspectives and other people to help us identify fear. So the third way is just to talk about fear. Bring it out from the darkness. And fear, I like to liken it to compare it to a bully. Once you identify and shed light on what exactly is going on, fear immediately loses its power when you can identify within yourself, ah, I see why I responded to that because that requires me to be vulnerable or that requires me to be seen and I'm not yet as comfortable as I will become in being rejected or being judged or being disapproved. So it's okay to talk about it. 
and with people you trust to, to talk about it as a normal, regular conversation. I think anyone who incorporates those three strategies can make a lot of progress into transforming fear into courage. Thank you, Laurel, for inviting me. I commend you for this oh, much needed forum, this wonderful forum uh, about empowerment and this forum so that we can have these open conversations and support each other and normalize the things we're going through individually and know that we all are having the same experiences. And hey, let's bring these experiences out in the open and talk about them. So thank you for providing this forum that uh, allows us to do just that. Thank you so much for inviting me as well. Absolute pleasure. If anybody in touch with you more about what you do, what would be the best way to do that? So the best way, I am happy to say that I now have founded a, a new organization, Inner University. And so I'll be sure to add that to your website, the uh, website address for that, and to your website so that people can get in contact with me um, by email or through my website. Perfect. Okay, folks. So show notes will be up on thefeminineclaimed.com and you can go there to read the transcript to get more information on Dr. Kimberly and to visit her online and check out her offerings. Thank you again so much. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. You as well, Laurel. Have a great one.